Well, good morning. If you're joining us online or at one of our campuses, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Graham and I'm a pastor here. You will need your Bibles this morning, so please open up to Matthew 5, verse 38. This morning at my kitchen table, I prayed for you the same thing that Cody prayed a couple weeks ago, that uh, God would open up your heart to this text. Uh, if you position yourself underneath this text this morning, you, ju- you just will never be the same. You'll never be the same. Some of you guys have heard about my son, Mac, who is three years old. Well, the other day, Mac actually had a play date with one of his friends named Levi at our house. And while Mac was over, Mac wanted to show off his prized T-Rex collection. And while Mac was playing with his favorite T-Rex, Levi decided to stand up, walk over to Mac, take the T-Rex out of Mac's hand while he was playing with it, Levi then takes the T-Rex and marches over to his corner where he was playing, and he begins to play with it. I watched as the pure rage began to bubble up in Mac's little body, right? It was one of those moments where he's like, hold my sippy cup because I'm about to take care of business, right? And, and, uh, and when he did that in that moment, he was so angry, he wanted to, to do something about it. And as Mac stood up to serve some much-needed justice, he gives me a look. And I look back at him, and I simply say, no, sir. And as the tears begin to well in his eyes, I invite him over to sit in my lap, where he says, but Dada, followed by the three words that we all know so well, that's not fair. Why do I tell you this? The minute that Levi took Mac's T-Rex, Levi became an enemy in Mac's eyes. That simple action changed the way Mac saw Levi in that moment. And, And because Levi was an enemy, Mac's natural, his natural response kicked in, almost like a reflex, right? Mac was going to right the wrong and he was angry about it. And this reflex was to treat Levi like an enemy. Now, you and I, being older, wiser, and some of us more mature than my three-year-old, will look at that and say, well, that's silly. But is it? See, because when I watched that in Mac, I realized I still possess the same type of response. I have this natural bend towards wanting to make things right because it feels right. I have this pit this pit in my stomach that forms when I hear someone say something or post something that's just absurd, right? I have this fiery furnace in my chest that fires up when I'm going 30 eastbound and I try to get on 35 north and that person takes that lane, you know what I'm talking about, and they just don't even regard you. They just kind of drive up and try to get in. The people who don't even regard my existence, I have this fire, this reflex, I don't know about you, but when someone threatens my equilibrium in any way, if I perceive a threat, I react. Whether internally or externally, you better believe I have a natural reaction. And my guess is that you probably do the same thing. If someone crosses you at work or someone bullies your child or if your spouse does that thing that she always does, or that, or that person has the audacity to disagree with you politically, 
like a reflex at a doctor's office, you kick into a natural response. And my guess is that that response in all those situations has very little to do with love. And that's how we find ourselves in an outrage-fueled world, right? Tit for tat, back and forth reflexes going back and forth all over the place in a moment in history where in society and inside the family, hatred is at an all-time high. Is this it? I mean, is this how it's supposed to be forever? You and I in bondage to the endless chain of hatred. Are we supposed to let the hostility of the outside world turn us into bitter, hostile toddler monsters? Or is there something better? Is there another way? My question to you this morning is very simple is are you supposed to act like everyone else in this outrage-fueled world? Or are we supposed to stand out? Are you supposed to absorb a culture of retaliation and hatred and bitterness? Or are you supposed to break through and inject something very different into this place? Let's jump into Matthew 5.43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise in the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is addressing our our default response and says something absolutely jaw-dropping. He says that in this world, we we have a cause to be a force of perfect love. When when we are face-to-face with our enemies or people we really, really dislike, his solution is perfect love. (laughs) Okay, yeah, right. Okay, preacher man, that sounds really cute and pithy. Awesome, let's just all swim in a sea of love. That sounds great. Some of you are probably saying, I don't know if you've met my mother-in-law, but this presents a problem for my life, right? And you'd be right. This is absolutely radical. This goes against our natural bent. Yet, Jesus is showing us another way. I would like to show you here this morning the three parts to the new way that that as we approach those whom we really, really dislike. And the first, he explains here that perfect love is selfless love. Perfect love is selfless love. You've heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, you gotta pay attention to what he's saying really carefully here. Look at the text. He says, you have heard that it was said. And before in Cody's other sermons, Jesus is quoting an Old Testament scripture and he does the same here, but only half of it, a little bit of it. 
In Leviticus 19, it says that you should love your neighbor. But then it says, he, he, he refers to it as saying, you should hate your enemy. What's he referring to? Well, not the text. He's referring to what they've been saying. He's saying, y'all have been saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And nowhere in the Bible, look through the whole thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hate your enemy. What's happened here is the religious leaders at the time have added this on because it makes sense to them, right? What the religious leaders are saying is, well, I'm a loving person and I'm obligated really only to love the people who look like me, who talk like me, who dress like me, who are in my tribe, but if they're outside that circle, then doom on them, not so much. But I say to you, stop drawing circles. Jesus says love extends all the way down line, even to enemies. Love extends all the way to enemies, even to the people you really, really dislike or the people who really, really dislike you. Jesus says love your neighbor and your enemy and acquaintances and strangers, literally everybody, even the people who disregard your existence on highways. Love your enemy. And first he describes it as a love that is pure, willful, and sacrificial. He's saying that we are supposed to love them, we are to love them with an agape type love. See, unlike the English language, uh, which only has one word for love, in English we could say, I love my wife and I love pizza in the same sentence, and hopefully those mean different things, right? Well, in Greek, there's a couple different words for love, and, and and here, you can, you can kind of see what, what word he uses, and that's agape. Well, there's a couple. One is storge. Storge is a, a word for love, which means natural affection, like a, a love you'd have for a, a sibling. There's eros. Eros is like a romantic love. A philea, which is brotherly love, where we get the, the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And if you read this quickly, you could assume that love means likability, or warm, cozy feelings towards your enemies. But you'd be way thrown off. That's not what Jesus is calling for. Jesus is calling for an agape love. Agape love. What's that? This love is a commitment to act for the highest good of another person. Agape love is the commitment to act for the highest love, if I highest good for another person. It's a love that Alistair Begg defines as a love which is not drawn out by the attractiveness of the one loved. Its inner motive is to bestow, bestow true blessing upon the one loved and to seek him the highest possible good. This is the love of God for us. It's love expressed not because we're attractive and certainly not because we're perfect, but he loved us because he loved us because he loved us. This is a choice. It's a choice that we make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself without expecting something in return. And this explains here why this is the ultimate standard of authentic agape love is how well you treat the people you can't even stand, the people that are your enemies, the people that you even hate. On December 3rd last year, uh, Officer Richard Houston 
responded to a disturbance call at an Albertsons in Mesquite, Texas. There was an altercation of like four people uh, in the parking lot that became heated. And as Officer Houston approached, a man named Jamie pulled out a weapon and shot Officer Houston. He was then rushed to Baylor uh, University Medical Center and shortly passed away, shortly after passed away. He left behind three children. A week later at his funeral, his 18-year-old daughter took the stage and through tears said this at her father's eulogy. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any part of my heart to hate him. All I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. My prayer is that someday down the road, I would get to spend some time with the man who shot my father, not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. This is the agape love. This is the way. Can't you see this? This is this shines so brightly. It's breaking through in a world filled with hatred. This, you have to see. You have to see this. This is what the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is all about. There was nothing, nothing attractive about you or perfect about you in any way that God said, well, he's deserving of my love. No, God loved you while you were an enemy and reconciled you to himself through the death of his son. Christ Chapel, explain to me. Explain to me how it's fair that the most perfect person would die for sinful people. That's not fair. This is love. This is it. This is love. Not that you loved him, but that he loved you and sent his son to be a sacrifice for your sins. That's why, that's why Christians... People who know this love are truly the only people in the world. We're the only people in the world who can express agape, authentic love. It's because we were first loved. We were first loved by our Father. And in turn, we're going to look like our Father. This pure, willful, and sacrificial love will display that you are a child of God. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. And that's why a story like this really shines so brightly. Why, why Shelby's story burns through this hatred? It's because when your identity is so rooted in your father through Jesus Christ, you're going to show the world that you're his by the way that you love one another. And I'm going to be honest with you. The world's probably going to hate you for it. And I know that sounds weird, but think on this. When you look like your father you're going to have enemies. People were offended by Jesus all the time just because he reflected what his dad looked like, right? We are in such an emotionally fragile culture right now. And when you live a holy and righteous life that lives for truth, you're gonna have enemies that follow. When you look like your dad, you're going to gain enemies. 
Now, some of you peacemakers out there are probably like, whoa, I didn't sign up for the whole enemy thing. Or some of you are like challengers who love conflict out there, like, heck yeah, man, let's go speak some truth and gain some enemies. Slow down, right? The goal isn't to gain enemies. The goal is to gain a friend, right? And the world will either hate you for being holy or by means of our godliness, it will taste and see that our God is good and worthy of praise. This is to prove that you're already the fathers. You don't, for clarity here, you don't express this love and then you're you're the fathers. No, this is for people who've already been flipped upside down. Those people are gonna look like their dad. There's an old country song by a guy named Paul Overstreet that came out, I think like the 80s or 90s, uh, when country music was, you know, good music. Um, and the song, and the song uh, is called Seeing My Father and Me. And the lyrics say, I'm seeing my father and me. I guess that's how it's meant to be. And I find him more and more like him each day. I notice I walk the way he talks. I notice I talk the way he talks. I'm starting to see my father and me. Christ Chapel, those who know grace show grace. Do you look like your dad? You've been given a gift that you didn't buy. So why wouldn't we give this gift away as freely as we've been given it? If you know the Father, you're going to look like the Father, even towards your enemies. And this is why Jesus drives deeper into to this and shows us that perfect love responds differently even to enemies. But I say to you, verse 44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says that in the face of enemies, you are going to respond very differently than the rest of the world. First, by blessing those who curse you. Blessing those who curse you. And this is where we get away from love just being a behavior, but rather something that has profoundly impacted our hearts. Because here's the thing, anybody can fake this, right? Love that blesses people through prayer, though, is so much deeper. This is so much bigger than Southern hospitality, but this is praying blessing upon people. It's an intimate action from your heart to theirs. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say pray against them, right? Like, God, please help her hairdresser slip with the scissors and cut her really uneven bangs. Uh, That would be great. God thinks, what do you guys think it was to say? Slip with a scissor and cut her? You guys are way, way worse than I thought. Point proven. Uh, No, God says that we're going to bless people. And it requires that our love is genuine. And here's, here's the crux of the issue, right? We have this internal justice system. And that's not a bad thing. Your internal justice system's not a bad thing. It's great for you to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's a problem when we let our reflex, our impulse to to move forward and judge and punish people, to get back, for us to be judge, jury, and executioner, to say, okay, I'm going to tell her. This is this reaction. And he's saying, no, bless people through prayer. So what type of prayers? Well, just a couple verses later, he he talks to us about the Lord's Prayer, I want you to imagine with me, just take a second, and imagine with me your enemy. 
Or if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't have an enemy, think of someone that you really, I mean, really dislike. Like if they sat down next to you right now, you'd be like, oh no. Think of that person. And then imagine yourself praying through the Lord's prayer for them. Praying that they would call God holy, that he'd call them his, their father. That they'd receive Jesus and, and they'd gain forgiveness of their sins through his blood. That God would protect them from temptation and that God would give them their daily bread. Feel this difference. This is a genuine pouring out of your heart to somebody else. It's a blessing them from the depths of your heart. There is no greater illustration. There's no greater illustration of this than Jesus' prayer to us in his final moments. Do you guys remember the three words Mac chose, me, chose to tell me in that moment? He said, that's not fair. Our flesh reacts so quickly when we see something internally that's not, not fair. But Christ's words were a different set of three words. And while he took his final breaths, he chose his words very carefully. And he prayed over us, over the people who were killing him. And instead of saying, that's not fair, he said, Father, forgive them. This is the new way. This is the new way that, that God wants us to show our enemies. Doing, doing good for them is just not enough. It has to come from an identity, from a heart to their heart. It, it needs to, to desire their highest good, and that is eternal joy with the Father. And, and that's why it also expresses itself by offering good to those who reject you. Verse 45b for he makes his sun rise in the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and unjust. Jesus says, hey, listen to me. Do you want to know what perfect love looks like? You want to know what agape perfect love looks like? Take a look at the weather. Take a look at the weather. Does God keep rain and sunshine, the two things you need most in an agrarian society from the people who reject him? No. Those evil people that you're thinking of, or any evil person, they're enjoying great things. And what is that? But mercy. God's giving them mercy, right? Terrible, terrible people in this world, awful people, have had a New York strip cooked medium with a bold cab and a side of au gratin potatoes from Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse, right? Terrible, awful humans have eaten there. There's not a sign on the door that says, well, if you reject God, you can't have a steak, no, they're, in, they're enjoying these things. Good cups of coffee, sunshine, rain, and a steak with a hot red center pink throughout. <laughs> what does agape love look like? What's this love look like? It looks like lavishing upon your enemy stuff they don't even deserve. It looks like giving them, give and lavishing upon them so that they might look at you and see their father who's in heaven. Because then, then, Christ Chapel, you're really going to stand out. Then you're going to really stand out from the culture of this world. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Everybody else in the world, everybody else in the world can love those who love them, right? You look, you've seen a mobster movie, right? They love their family, but they murder people. 
everybody else in the world can love the people who love them. That's easy. Perfect love loves those who aren't so lovely. And this next part is my favorite part of the text. This is my favorite part. If you're thinking the love that shall be expressed is something that is just too remote for you, he brings this way down to street level. And he brings this to a simple action that I think is gorgeous. He says, he equates greeting people with loving them. I mean, think about how simple that is. Just saying hello. That's what he says love is. He says, don't even non-believers or people of the nations greet people they know and love? Wouldn't we then stand out and greet those who are outside of our circle? Shouldn't, shouldn't we go out of our way to say hello to somebody? And you might think this is small, but greeting someone, greeting someone forces you to see just how prideful and selfish you really are. It's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration that shows you, man, you don't want to engage. And this isn't an extrovert or introvert thing. This is a human condition thing. I'm convinced that there's one place on planet Earth where you can experience the most pride and human selfishness. There's one spot on Earth where majority of pride and human selfishness exists, the apex of all that is evil and pride and selfishness, and that is the front of the line at Chipotle. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. Think about what we do. We get up there, uh, bowl, uh, uh, brown rice, double chicken. No, I said double chicken. Double chicken. Uh, pico, no guac? Cheese. Oh, no cheese. Yes, I want cheese, but geez. Think about it, right? That's what happens. What if instead we walk up and we say, hi, how are you doing today? Uh, good. What's your name? Uh, my name's Reggie. It's nice to meet you, Reggie. Thanks for serving me today. Can I please have a bowl? How hard is that, Right? He's saying that greeting people, greeting people equates to loving them. The new way of Jesus goes out of its way to greet those who you normally wouldn't greet. I dare you. I dare you. Greet 10 people this next week. Greet 10 people this next week. And after the first one, you're going to think, this is so dumb. This is ridiculous. But then you're going to be face to face with your, your selfishness, which is to not engage. Quick side note. CCBC, I have no idea how we're going to reach 800,000 people if we won't say hi to them. If we're not going to say hi to them. Remember, in heaven, there are no enemies to love. You get a very short moment to express this love to the people around you, and that's it. So stand out. Stand out from the culture of contempt and bitterness and selfishness and hatred. Greet those whom you never greet and love those who you, whom you never love. Then Jesus drives this even deeper. He drives it deeper in, in the text just before this. He says, perfect love responds different to conflict. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, I don't have enough time to take you through all the beautiful bits of this, but uh, he clears something up first by quoting Deuteronomy 19 when he references the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth passage, which I know you guys know. This passage was actually made for the civil government. This was a law put in place so that the government wouldn't take more than the crime justified, right? So if someone stole a bucket of wheat, then the government can take a bucket of wheat. It's not going to take more than the crime justified. But what the religious leaders did again is they twisted this. They twisted this and said, actually, this extends all the way to personal relationships. And you know what you should do? You should get revenge and retribution. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus clears this up by giving three beautiful illustrations. Now, for these illustrations, we can't take these too far, but I also can't minimize here what he's saying. Uh, they, these are ways in which love can rear its head, which love can portray itself, but it's not the way it's always going to be. So as he's describing what love looks like, uh, yes, does it mean it's always going to look like this? No. Is he saying this could literally happen? Yes. Verse 39, patiently take insult without retaliation. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And this time period, this is more of a verbal insult than it is uh, like a physical attack. It kind of equates to those cartoons where, you know, the Englishman takes out his white glove like finger by finger and kind of slaps it against your face. That, that's what this is. It's a, it's a verbal insult. And while we don't get slapped anymore, hopefully by this term of an insult, like just regularly, but, the, but boy, do we know how to insult. We know how to bite back with thumbs and keyboards, don't we? I mean, we are good at it. So what's he saying? Well, you're sensible people. What's it say? He's saying, love your enemy and do not seek revenge. How that applies to your circumstances is only going to be revealed through patience, right? It's only going to be revealed through patience, through waiting another 12 hours to post that comment on Facebook, right? Through waiting till the next morning to send that email to your boss, through healthy pause, a pause and seeking him before reacting. Then he says, this level of patience actually offers more to the person, which is why he says then, give selflessly to your adversaries. Verse 40, and if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. This addresses, again, just our natural bent and something that we have in all of us, and that is our attachment to the things we have. He's addressing your heart and your attachment to your stuff in light of relationships. He's saying, where's your priority, right? Is it in keeping your things or displaying the perfect love of Christ to those who are heated? Someone must be pretty heated to sue you for your shirt. And in the midst of this anger, if you actually say, you know what, you can have it and take this, that not only calms the situation but shows that person something radical, that you're not a creature of this world. That you're saying, I don't belong here. None of this stuff is going where I'm going, so you can just have it. It's actually saying to that person, perfect love cares more about your eternity than it does my stuff. It's challenging here, right? To, to think about what you value. And this is why he calls us to go 
and give more by giving the extra mile. Go and offer the extra mile. He says, verse 42, give to them more. Why? Why? Well, if you're gonna recap all of the, this kind of passage, what he's trying to say is, hey, who wins? Who wins in the end of all this, right? If you're looking in the back of the book, does Jesus win? Does the gospel win? Does Jesus win? Does the gospel win? Yes, you need to say that out loud to yourself to remind yourself because you win. You win in the end. There's no way the enemy wins. No way. But there's still more game to play. We still have to go out there. And he's explaining that your honor, your treasure, and your security belongs to Christ who stands in victory this very moment. And nothing, nothing can take that away from you. So freely love, so freely love in the face of retaliation as I've loved you. When it comes to loving and doing good, don't be stingy, don't be stingy. Give it away. Okay, now this thing is beyond difficult, right? I mean, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna stand up here and pretend that I know who your enemies are and pretend that I know what, what they've done or, or what's going on. But he's saying there is a better way. Let's take it back to Mac. In Mac's rage and his frustration and hurt, from where did Mac draw his strength and knowledge from the lap of his father. My job as a dad is to show him a better way. I could go and grab the T-Rex myself. I could go and say, yeah, son, go fight him. Or I could show him a better way, right? I messaged Shelby a couple weeks ago and I asked her, where did you learn this from? She said, I learned it from my dad. In the lap of your father is where you're going to see this new way. You gotta hear me, please, please hear me. You possess no ability to do this. You possess no ability to do this on your own, none. And what he's saying here is that you even have a hard time loving the people you like, right? The only way to love in this new way is from the lap of your father. I can show Mac a new way because Jesus showed us a better way. To the victory where he stands, we can stand in that same victorious confidence that allows us to break the chains and bondage of bitterness that we keep tying ourselves to, right? Christ's love is what breaks you from the shackles of the pathetic power of the prison of hatred. And it frees you to go freely love other pe people with the love you've been freely given. He says, I've come to set you free from that. But you keep running back to this hatred, this bondage of hatred, of bitterness and contempt. I came to give you a fuller life, a fuller life than chaining yourself to another person emotionally through the pathetic power of hatred. 
I came to free you to give you a whole new way. And when you realize, when you realize what I've done for you, when you realize and meditate on my goodness day and night and not meditating on the hatred and bitterness that's welling up inside of you, you will be free. You'll be free. So Christ Chapel, draw near to your Father. Be held by him. And you'll radically shine. You'll radically shine in a world bent on hatred. And the world will either hate you for being holy or by means of godliness it will taste and see that our Lord is good and worthy to be praised. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this radical love. I hope my friends in this room and my friends watching this feel the weight of utter impossibility. That apart from you, Lord, this is so impossible. Apart from you, we have no hope to be free for eternity and have no hope to love as freely as you loved us. Would you guide us, Lord? Would you draw us near to your lap and from that place, Will we draw strength, endurance, and true agape love? Amen.